an art, a science. Valuations can be complex and mysterious, but at Bizval we just don't think that needs to be the case anymore. We believe that if you can answer a set of straightforward questions about your financial performance and the prospects of your business, then you can get an accurate estimation of the value of what you've built. For those who want an extra touch, our concierge service is still incredibly affordable and it gives you direct access to our expertise. Now in many cases our valuations cost less than 10% of what you would pay elsewhere for a professional services firm. And best of all, we usually get to a similar answer. Visit bizval.co where you'll quickly learn that we value your company. Welcome to another episode of the Bizval podcast. It's going to be super interesting. It's a Friday morning that we are recording this and I'm sitting here with Howard Blake and Justin Blake. So father and son combo here, not too hard to guess. For those who have kept an eye on the Bizval website, you'll know that Howard Blake is one of the co-founders of Bizval and brings a hell of a lot of experience to the mix here. And Justin, you are a successful entrepreneur in your own right and it's, it's really cool to actually see this sort of father and son combo playing out. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from both of you. So Howard, let me welcome you first, you know, respectfully starting with the dad and uh, thanks for making the time for this. Oh, it's a pleasure, pleasure ghost. Justin, there's a nice hum in the background, which is literally the wheels of commerce turning at your business silvery, isn't it? Exactly. That's the orders being produced that are going out for Valentine's Day. Uh, should all be up by next week. Yes. The month of love must be a busy one for you. It always is. <laughs> Regular followers of Bizwell might be familiar with Justin because if you attended one of our recent webinars where we talked about, you know, building a direct-to-consumer business, Justin's business, Silvery, was one of the companies that we looked at and Justin made a lot of time for us on that webinar to come and talk about what it's like to build one of those businesses. So we're not going to talk about Silvery today, but I highly recommend if you want to go and learn about a direct-to-consumer business, go and check it out. We also had Mike Dixon from Desiree on the same webinar. So you've got clothing, retail, and jewelry online on that webinar to go and refer back to. But let's get back into this podcast. And Howard, I've been dying to ask you this, getting to know you so well, obviously, and Justin as well. Did you make this man work for his pocket money from a young age? Where did this entrepreneurial angle actually come from? Did it just seep into him from you? Yeah, Ghost, the, the, the frightening thing is I think when a child's raised in an entrepreneurial household, the, the dinner table discusses things that relate to entrepreneurs and I think children are almost schooled into you know the the wonderful moments of oh my gosh I've lost my biggest client we're gonna cut our living cost of living right back and sorry we're not able to afford the following things to you know we've had a really good year and uh, this is why we've had a good year so I think you can never discount a child that's raised in an entrepreneurial environment if they slightly inclined to that becomes their reference point and you know I never encouraged him to become an entrepreneur it uh, was something that I think he just took on. I do know that he has an absolute aversion to working for anybody. So I think that's a wonderful start. Does that sound right, Justin? It's, it sounds perfectly right. I even at one stage did work for my dad's company for about two years. And I spent most of my time designing my way out of there, <laughs> plotting my way out of there. But I mean, expanding from that, yeah. So I think why we've been so fortunate to be raised in an entrepreneurial house is that what we've seen over almost my lifetime is, is how it started. So we're under no illusion of how long it takes to build a successful business. I think there's many fake cases where millionaire, billionaire overnight. And I think it creates a lot of anxiety in sort of aspiring entrepreneurs. But from the age of six, I think I remember walking into the first premises of my dad's, which was in Virginia Airport with a couple of people. 
moving from there to above a laundromat in Glen Ashley and from there I think into Durban CBD and, and now to the call center in uh, Mount Edgecombe with two, three thousand people at times. So we've seen it go from two people to that quantity of people over a lifetime. It hasn't been anything that happened overnight and yeah, we've just seen the process right from the beginning. You make a really good point there about how long this actually takes. People forget that. I think there's the sort of Instagram generation of these sort of influencers who make it look so easy. Yeah. And it's not. And anyone who's ever built a business or watched one being built will know it's not easy and it does take time. And I think Justin, what you did really well is you started young. And it's a it's a fantastic gift. Exactly. And we had the parents that allowed us to explore. I mean, we could have been pushed into go to a degree, but luckily my dad let me start from a young age to explore entrepreneurism. And the first business we started off was actually vending machines within the call center. So that's where, and sold that after two years and then progressed from there. I love that. A side hustle within <laughs> the main family hustle. That's phenomenal. Yeah. So that leads me nicely into the next question, actually, which is how involved are you these days in each other's businesses? You know, my sense of it from the outside looking in, there's a, there's a healthy distance allowing each other to make mistakes. And Howard, I mean, you've done so much already. So maybe that's more, you know, allowing Justin to, to make some mistakes in the, in the journey of Silvery, but to learn from them and grow, which he's done and, and built this really cool business. And how involved are each of you in each other's affairs, I suppose? Dad, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, Look at them waiting to see who's <laughs> going to answer first. That, that awkward moment when no one wants to go first. Ghost not really involved in Justin's business at all. High-level strategy discussions happen now and again. But one thing that Justin's taught me is the determination to build products. So we've ended up with a very simple formula, I think, in his business. I'm not speaking on his behalf. It's product times geography. So whatever product, we know that new product drives the growth of that business and he's a master of building product and getting product out there and using technology to refine the business. I think, yes, you have to let people make mistakes. I saw him make quite a few and let him do it because I knew he'd never make them again. You have to watch the child putting his hand on the hot plate. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> but you know what he learned, and I knew he was smart enough and agile enough to be able to get out of it and, and learn from it. So, yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to be involved on a daily basis. It's his business. He's got to do it. And I think it's it's testimony to you know, where I am. I mean, I'm tech business. The big software house with big call centers bolted onto it, and, and we do all sorts of great cool technology stuff. And I have nothing to do with the silver or jewelry trade. I mean, it couldn't be more unrelated. So it's not like we've managed to incubate something within the family uh, interests and, and set a child free. He's found it. He's built it. He's developed it himself. Yes, there's been times when we've assisted with funding and strategic direction, but nothing more than that. He runs the entire operation on his own and does it well. And yeah, if I could add to that, it's also, again, going through the journey of when we started the first vending machine business when I was, I think, 17, all the way to now, there indirectly has been a lot of involvement. So it was a child labor side Yes, hustle. exactly. Yes. Child labor. <laughs> I think we need to, you know, that, that's quite an important distinction. <laughs> we, 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 we broke every United Nations convention. He was, a, he was forced child labor. <laughs> Forced child labor yeah. side hustle. No, sorry, carry, um, on. carry on. So, not to say that you know, my dad's had a direct uh, ruling, you do this, do that, but we've almost met 
especially when we live closer three times a week for breakfast and i definitely chatted a lot and asked for a lot of advice and even though my dad gave me a lot of advice didn't listen to most of it and burnt my hand on the hot plate and that's really the only way to learn and Generally, as the years have gone on, the morning coffees and breakfasts and evening dinners have naturally become less and less as I've sort of found your way. But at a more strategic level now, definitely we engage on on many different points as we try to sort of grow Silvery internationally. Listen, don't underestimate how lucky your dad is. I think there's a lot of dads listening to this going, geez, I wish I had this with my with my kids, you know, to be able to actually spend that amount of time with a common interest. I think that's a gift when you and your parents have a common interest that make you spend time together. There are so many people who don't have that. And when it's something like this, you know, this common love of business and entrepreneurship, I just think it's fantastic. And Howard, you you kind of alluded to things you've learned from Justin, and that's exactly right. You know, you have the benefit of having a young entrepreneur who's built this very, very cool online business, and you can learn from that too. So I think it's, yeah, it's it's just fantastic. And it it gives each of you that support base as well because something we all know is that the journey of being an entrepreneur can be exceptionally not can be exceptionally difficult it is exceptionally difficult and it can be very lonely and i think you know the whole family kind of being involved in this does take away some of the loneliness i would think it does ghost i think the one thing people completely underestimate if you're a serious entrepreneur i'm not talking about the poses on instagram that rent a ferrari and waft around a neighborhood in cool clothes but uh the the impact on a family it's heavy on families people don't realize how heavy entrepreneurship is on families and it can break families and it can make families but it takes a very special understanding on the family's part when when your parents have to work late in the evening or early in the morning or you've got clients coming in from overseas and all the dynamics that come with having to be as agile as you have to be as an entrepreneur is very heavy on relationships and i don't think people quite understand that they have all the romantic aspects and i know justin juggles constantly with his family he's got two kids and there's production requirements and and you know the business is the business is not negotiable right so you have to fit everything in and around it you can't go to a client say oh sorry my child's teething i won't be at work today i never slept last night and i don't care and it's heavy on families and I, i think people need to realize that that is one of the prices you will pay because you've got to be single-minded and determined and you've got to get the job done and there's no excuses there's no help there's there's no corporate team sitting behind you to cover and it's quite a lonely place i don't think people quite understand how lonely entrepreneurialism really is and and how hard it is emotionally in, in that respect we see all the good sides you know uh, how lucky you are no you're not lucky you work very hard to get whatever you get. And it's never really about the money. It's just trying to get that enterprise to be successful and survive. People always think, oh, you just want to get, it's like a get rich scheme. It's not. It's years, like Justin said, this it's absolute years of grind and toil. You swim upstream every day. I mean, everything goes wrong all the time. We all know that. Nothing's sweet and smooth. And it's painful, but you get there. And it's that determination that can negatively impact on the family. If the family does, it's very difficult. If your family don't understand, they can't understand why you're on the phone 24-7. It's not that you've got a girlfriend. It's actually it's trying to run a business. And it's really difficult. You know, it's, it's worth it. Just now, very fortunate to have the relationship we do. 
and we understand each other. We understand what it takes. But you can ask him how hard it is to balance yeah. family. It's not we, I'm, I'm in some sense also lucky in that regard where my wife and I, we started sort of what, seven years ago together. And up until we had our first child, we were both in our factory till eight, nine o'clock every night. We were here from eight and seldomly left before eight o'clock. So when the first child came, that there was no question of what was being done. And I mean, like yesterday is, is a prime example. I would be at the soccer for my three-year-old. Said I'd come watch it at four o'clock. I was at home at ten to seven. So, but luckily, there's no arguments over that. No, it's not easy. It's really not easy, as I've recently learned myself. Uh, entrepreneurship can do rough, rough things to your family. So. Moving on from, I suppose, the personal toll it takes, which I think everyone, every entrepreneur has got a bit of a story on, that's for sure. You know, Howard, I think in our recent webinar, you talked about milestones for businesses ultimately. And of course, the first one is, you know, break even. Well, maybe the first one is sell your first product if we really start very early in the process. That's probably the first one. But, you know, selling a product is wonderful, but that doesn't make a business yet. So really the first big milestone, I guess, is for many people at least to break even. But is that right, do you think? I mean, is that actually the milestone to focus on? Or does that create this kind of short-term thinking that maybe hurts you in the long term? I'm keen to get your views on that. And then Justin, certainly yours as well. Yeah, I think it definitely does. I think if, you, if you're myopically focused on the break-even event and you're doing everything to break-even, you can very easily craft a break-even business, right? Which is, which is like a charity. So you've got to be able to think beyond that. I think the saving grace is that the momentum that builds to the break-even point carries you over that line quite quickly. So you really have to think hard about your business. If you're sitting at break-even for 12 months, I think you've got a systemic illness and you've got to go and sort out. But I've found that generally once you get to break-even, and you get a strong push over the line because of the momentum that carries you. You've done so much to get to that point. And I think that kind of, in, in many ways, gives the entrepreneur a good kick in the pants to, to then be do the innovative stuff. I've seen it in Justin's business. Strong push to get over the line. Once you're over the line and you, you realize you can meet your cost, then you get creative and innovative around what you can do to improve product and, and all the good things that, that start to build the value in the enterprise. So... I think it's something you've got definitely, as you say, got to be aware of, Ghost. You, you, you can't be complacent and just getting to think otherwise you'll, you'll build a great charity. And Ghost, in my experience, I've always looked at it, cost price of a product, selling price, if I can sell a thousand of those, that's how much money I'm going to make. So let's go for it. And that was clearly the point with Silvery. And if you had to take our growth expenditure, I would say we sort of broke even and, and started seeing a profit between three and a half years and four years. Had we not pushed so hard, sure, we would have seen a, a profit much earlier. But I never had the mindset that we just have to break even. It was just we need to sell a thousand products and it'll be this much profit as an example. So a little bit of a different outlook or mindset there, but yeah, it, it definitely takes time. And like my dad said, once you're breaking even, then you are able to take those profits and reinvest them a little bit wiser and see a much greater profit in, in terms of that. Howard makes a really good point there on building a break-even business. I mean, that's a very, very astute comment, which is, if, you know, it's, it's easy to do. There are so many businesses... I mean, we've seen them in Bizwell. We've had businesses come through that are four or five years old and there's like no sign of the unit economics improving and it just doesn't make money. You know, it's going to just go sideways and sideways and sideways. And the very sad news is that business is not actually worth anything, which is horrific as a message to deliver to someone. You know, they've spent blood, sweat and tears for years now building something that literally has no value. It's horrible, but... It happens. It, does, it happens uh, far too often, sadly. Yeah, it happens, guys. And I think, again, it kind of depends what the entrepreneur's expectations are. I've recently seen one that I've been involved with on a consulting basis where people built a lifestyle business. 
can't sell it for love nor money because it suited their lifestyle and it's got, got a property involved in it and nobody really wants the business with the property. They're happy to buy the property. The entrepreneur doesn't want to sell the property without the business, but no one wants the business because the business breaks even. And that's how I think that's how important it is. And that's why I think Bisbell plays such an important point because it allows you from a very early stage to identify the drivers, the enterprise value drivers, and focus on them. And you can fix it. I'm sorry, if you can build a break-even business, you can build a highly profitable one. There's nothing stopping you. It might be a bit of guidance, a bit of counseling, maybe a, just, a, just a pointy here or there, or a little bit of a eureka moment one evening, realizing, oh, hang on, if I just do this better, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a profit. So, yeah, and I think that's where Bisbell such a incredible i'm so passionate about it because if i'd had it when i started out my businesses i would have built different businesses i would have built my value a lot quicker yeah if i can jump in there quickly just to push that point but also yes i started the journey with 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 bisvel almost a year ago and we've just in the first stages worked on a model that said where the business could be in the next five years if we meet the certain metrics and then we've just recently moved on to doing budgets and i've always been one to never worry about a budget but now that we've done a proper budget and if we stick to the budget means we're going to get x amount of profit that's definitely changed the way of running the business in, in many aspects a simple little example we just had a photo shoot the other day and we would normally let them run over now i sit there with the stopwatch making sure the photographer is keeping to time the models keeping to time because if you keep to all your metrics you're going to see your profit at the end of the month and much more than you would normally so it definitely gives you a different view on your business if you definitely have that guidance that stopwatch <laughs> is quite an image and Justin, that point around engaging with Bizval is great. So yes, you know, you came and valued your business with us. And before everyone listening to this thinks, oh, well, of course he did because he's Howard's son. I mean, make no mistake. Like everything is arm's length. And, you know, Justin's put a lot of time and effort into this business. You wouldn't do it if you didn't think it was valuable. And you certainly wouldn't take any of the outputs into consideration if you didn't think they would help you. If you didn't listen to your own dad's advice, you know, then what chances would we have had if you, <laughs> if it wasn't worthwhile? Well, it, well, it took almost a year to actually get the valuation done and then engage with the process so you know since we started or started the journey a it did a real valuation of what the business was and obviously that's quite shocking in, at first place and then you know with the guidance it says it can be this if we do these changes over the next five years so we built a model over five years what changes can we make and you know if we meet these metrics this is what the business will be valued at and that's what it's definitely changed my perspective from short term to long term. You know, saving 10,000 Rand is, in my mind, is this, it's monthly. But over five years, that equates to quite a large sum of money. And that's definitely where it's changed my thinking. It's, it's shifted it much more long term on in every aspect of the business. And if we, if we can stick to the plan now, it would 10, 10 times the value of the business. And for a very affordable rate, if I can put it that way. Yeah, 100%. Justin, just to be clear that it took a year to do your valuation. That was on you, hey? Bisval's immediate. Yeah, the, just for anyone listening yeah, the, the, to this, it does <laughs> not take a year to get a valuation it from us. <laughs> took a year for my dad to drag me down there and say, there we plug go. in the numbers, get a valuation. See, that, that <laughs> the process... The valuation was we, done in a couple of days. Yeah, that process we can't control. When you come into a live valuation, it's instant. In a concierge, it takes us a few days and you get it back. So yeah, our turnarounds are thankfully a bit quicker than that. Um, yeah, yeah. 
So guys, I know from my experience, one of the hardest parts of this journey is building infrastructure around you that actually avoids you burning out. It's very real for me. I think in particular for me, because what I've really built is glorified self-employment personally as the finance goes down, not talking about what we're doing in BizVal or anything else, you know, which is actually very different to a business that can tick over while you're playing golf. That is the dream for me. Maybe artificial intelligence will take it there one day and there can be a, a ghost bot who does it, although I'm not sure I like the thought of that world at all. But anyway, the reality for entrepreneurs, it's very hard, you know, to actually get that time away because they are so involved in every element of the business. You know, you touch everything as the entrepreneur from finance to marketing to ops to HR, all of it. So what advice would you each have for entrepreneurs, honestly, like me, who just can't break that cycle of needing to be available 24-7? How do you escape that? Ghost, it's such a simple answer, yet it's so difficult to do. Learn to delegate. Um, I learned to do that very early on. It was, I think, one of the reasons for the success that we had. I, I wasn't afraid to bring in people, and I applied a simple rule to it. So you're going to get about 60 to 70% of what you're capable of from that individual, but they'll need constant guidance. So you're going to move yourself up into a management, you know, from managing and directing the business literally as opposed to being the actor. So if you're like a movie director compared to being an actor. And if you're acting, that's all you can do. You can only ever be an actor and you can only ever get a part. But if you're a director, you can direct a lot of actors. And I think that that for me was the winning streak, being able to find those people. And often I would try and find people that were better than I was at doing things that I was weak at because it elevates you and that's wonderful. I think where it falls apart is where you hire people that are mediocre so you don't feel bad about yourself. And you know you end up having to do more managing than you should. Always get people that are better than you at doing it and just give them the confidence by mentoring them and directing them. Yeah, that's sage advice. Justin, what's worked for you? Yeah, so, well, I'm not going to lie. I'm still heavily involved on a day-to-day basis. But what is important to realize, and I think also for, for other aspiring entrepreneurs, is that you need to gauge where are you busy in your business. So the first three to four years, I was heavily involved in the workshop, setting up the workshop, and it was also to be honest, a very glorified way of earning a, a salary. And as we've progressed, <laughs> it, it, it's it so good to admit that. Sorry, like so many entrepreneurs refuse to acknowledge yeah, um, that they are self-employed. At times, in the beginning, you are like self-employed. And, There's no business. Um, <laughs> but you know, as we've gone through that journey, I'm still always needed 24/7. But now we, we need it on the business that's generating money. Um, so are you very busy setting up or now are you now in the side that's where you can tweak a few things and create more money? So that's where I am now. And if I could, would I replace somebody? No, because I still think I can add a lot more value. And I guess when I get to the point where I'm sitting at, listen, I think someone else could add more value, I'll happily leave and hand over. But at the moment, you know, the, the growth rate is still good. It's on what I would like. So happy with that. If someone came to me and said, I've taken 10 e-commerce businesses from 5 million to 100 million, I would I would jump straight away. But um, at the moment, still very involved, but just on more on the money-making side of, of the business, if we can put it in simple terms. Yeah, absolutely. So what I've taken from that is, you know, you've got to recognize you're going to be involved in different things at different times. And when it's ready to hand over, find someone who can do 70% of it, free up that much time of yours. You still need to have oversight, but then you can kind of move on to the next thing. I think that's very practical advice. And uh, I've kind of started doing that in my own business as well. And yeah, I'll just carry on with that then. It sounds like the right way to do it. 
So to finish this podcast, I'm giving each of you the opportunity to ask me something. I don't know what you are going to ask me. I can hand on heart tell our listeners I have no idea. So Howard, I feel like you've been thinking of this the whole week. I'm terrified of your question. I'm almost tempted to let Justin go first because I know yours is going to be horrific. Mine might be easier, so start with me. <laughs> there we go, Justin. There we go. Ask me a, whatever question you have And in it's mind. following off from what we just spoke about. So if you could put somebody in your business that would manage everything so that you could go do whatever you want, would you really want that? Meaning, if your business is exciting enough, would you want to leave? Because every morning, I'm really excited to be here. And from a personal point, I wouldn't want to hand over just yet. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. So no is the very easy answer. I definitely wouldn't want to leave. I can't imagine what I'd do with all my time. But I'll tell you what, it would be nice to go and sometimes play golf on a Friday. Definitely, or, I agree with you. Know, you. <laughs> like, I think it's the optionality. I almost, you know what I think ends up happening is you get the feeling of, well, I could leave. You probably go anyway to work that day. But you're like, hmm, you know, yeah. I don't have to be here. And then you take this weird joy from that, which is almost as much fun as just being on the golf course as a whole. Whereas now it's yeah. like, there's no chance of that. So you end up feeling quite <laughs> trapped. I don't know. That's my, that would probably be my answer to that is, is, yeah. I mean, I could not do anything other than what I'm doing now. But yeah, it, yeah. it, it would be nice to take a day here and there. That was a nice question, Justin. Definitely. Now I'll prepare myself for Howard. <laughs> Ghost. You have two hands and 24 hours in a day. You face the challenge of developing a value proposition way deeper than the singularity you currently are. What's it going to be? Jeez. I mean, that is an outrageously hard question. <laughs> Good question, Howard. Good question. What is that value proposition going to be? What, for the finance ghost as a whole? Or... Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. You're swerving, I can see hey, you swerving. Have to, have to swerve. Look, it's a, good, it's a good question. I mean, I do love the writing. So the really cool thing with what I do is, is it scalable in terms of time? No. Is it scalable in terms of audience size? Yes, absolutely. So way in the beginning of the journey, someone used this analogy and I can't remember, I honestly can't remember who it was, but they said to me, it's a bit like Queen, you know, in the beginning, Queen was playing in these seedy little bars where, you know, right in the beginning when no one knew who they were. And by the end, they were filling Wembley Stadium time after time after time. It was still Queen, and they were still playing a song for three minutes, or much longer, depending which song it is, giving it's Queen. But the point is, the audience grew, the product stayed the same. So I think when it's a form of art, like writing or similar, that's about the only way you can really scale, is you're going to still spend pretty much the same amount of time on it, but your audience can be 10x bigger because of technology. So I would say that would be the answer is, it's always gonna need my input as the content because that's what people like. So the goal has gotta be build a bigger audience and become more ingrained in, in what they are looking for. And over time, add other voices to it, but don't lose the special source that they are here Good for answer. in the first place. It's the only answer I have. <laughs> yeah. so guys thanks this has been a lot of fun i think there's been some really cool lessons in here uh, it's a pity we didn't have a father's day themed show but we're getting this out nice and early this year because you know hopefully it helps someone in the biswell community with what they are grappling with in their own businesses and that's what i really just want to end off on is you know biswell is built very much by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs i think we understand all of the challenges that you are facing as an entrepreneur and a big goal for us is to kind of build that supportive community around it and obviously with Bizval as a tool to help value your business, to give you an idea of where you are, to give you the tools to make it more valuable, Justin, as you've experienced firsthand. And you know, to our listeners here, engage with us, reach out to us, tell us about your businesses. If it's a business that's really interesting, we'd love to do a podcast with you. We'd love to learn about it. So don't be shy. 
and uh, reach out to us at Biswell. Visit the website, check out all the insights that are there. And Howard, Justin, thank you for your time this morning. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to getting this out into the world. Thank you, Ghost.